Well, welcome to the Estates Made Simple podcast. Uh, we're delighted to have another recording opportunity with my co-host Jenna Carvello of Guardian Estate Company. My name is Gordon Vanderleek of Vanderleek Law, and we have a very special guest uh, today, Michael Pearson, who actually, Michael, we had podcasted before. It's so a little fun fact. Back in the day, as the youngsters say, that, that we did, uh, I had another podcast focused more on estate planning stuff that kind of ended up not proceeding or, you know, I did it for a bit and then had to stop for a variety of reasons. But Michael was one of my guests and I just really enjoyed that conversation. And certainly when we were talking, Jenna, you and I about having some guests and said, well, wouldn't it be, I think it'd be helpful from for executors and administrators to get some sense of, all right, when I get called into this role, I'm going to have probably the first thing you have to do is deal with a, with the funeral home and deal with the disposition of remains is one of the important tasks to be done right away. So we want to talk about that. And Michael Pearson of Pearson Funeral Services Limited here in Calgary is a born and raised Calgarian. And this is what he's done, right? That he's been doing this for a very long time and very graciously agreed to come back on. So we're delighted to, to have you, Michael, to talk a little bit about issues of executors and administrators as it relates as it relates to the the, the, the process of, of dealing with a celebration of life, the, the funeral service and all the rest of it. Lots of issues there. And we uh, welcome you to to share your experiences with us uh, today and your insights. Great to be here with you, Gordon and Jenna. Thanks for the invitation, and it's great to be talking to you again. So one of the things I think that that comes up, or as I think about the process of your meeting with a family, obviously it's, I, I was looking at your website and it goes, we're available 24 hours a day. This is not a nine to five job. You probably get calls at all hours because it's an emergency, you know, it's a situation. Somebody have passed away and we need to deal, we we have a body and we have to deal with that, right? And, and I think one of the things to explore probably at the outset, you need to explore sort of who's in charge and who are you taking instructions from? And there's a whole process there. So I'd love if you could kind of share a little bit with our listeners and our audience about, well, what does a typical process look like that 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 you go through with the family? And yeah, some of the some of the important questions you're asking at the at, at the front end. So why don't you, you know, take us into that process of dealing with the funeral or celebration of life when somebody passes away and you get that call? What what happens next? Oh, that's a great question. And that's a great place to start. Uh, oftentimes we get these telephone calls. And like you say, they can be in the middle of the night or in the middle of the afternoon or on a holiday weekend or whatever the case might be. And as, as funeral directors, usually the people on the other side are having an awful, awful day and they're usually panicked and they oftentimes really aren't sure what to do at all. And so, you know, initially we just need to get the lay of the land and just express our condolences and, and let them know that we're here to help them. And that that's really our number one goal is to help these people. And then the second thing we need to do is oftentimes just slow things down and let them know that uh, even though this has happened, let's go through this systematically and carefully and gather a little bit of information and, and figure out things as we go along. And, you know, one of the que first questions we'll ask is, was this sudden and, and, and unexpected or was this something that was expected? And that can make a big difference in any situation. If it was sudden and unexpected, uh, oftentimes that means that it might have been, uh, you know, a heart attack or a car accident or something else traumatic and nobody's really prepared for this. And that's a very 
very different situation than somebody who was old and, and they were expected to pass away and perhaps they were in a hospice and, and maybe they'd even made funeral arrangements and all of that. So, so things can be all over the map. And the first thing we need to do is kind of understand where things are. So we'll oftentimes just ask a little bit of get in some information about the deceased and get uh, some information about the caller. Sometimes the next of kin is not the caller. And, and sometimes you have, uh, sometimes it is, but sometimes you've got somebody who's been very helpful who's kind of giving you some information. And sometimes they think they're being helpful and they may not be. And that's where, you know, we, we get right into the heart of the matter of who's in charge and who do we take direction from. So for us, we, we usually start with getting some basic information so we can understand the situation and, and gather some data so that we can take it from there. Because because on that first call, you're not planning the funeral and you're not giving them an invoice. You're just taking the information and starting to create a file so that we can help them out and uh, kind of move things along and, and do this in steps. So that's kind of the first step is that first phone call. And sometimes they won't even make a phone call. They'll just come into the funeral home unannounced and say, I'm here to make funeral arrangements. And, you know, the process is essentially the same. We have to figure out what happened and, and ask where the the body is. And, and like you'd mentioned, sometimes the, the deceased is at a home or at a nursing home and needs to be transferred into our care right away. So oftentimes we'll just go ahead and coordinate that regardless of what we know is going on, because that's important. And a lot of places you just can't leave the deceased there in that state uh, until things are all organized. So we'll at least kind of take that step and, and get those particular items um, organized. From there, uh, obviously, you know, the next step is is what we like to refer to as funeral arrangements or making arrangements, and that's maybe our own jargon. But that's where we actually sit down with the family and, and start to plan what's going to happen. And, and it's at that point, and some of this can happen on the phone. You know, sometimes they don't have to be there in front of you. And some people know exactly what's going to do. If, if they know what they want and they've pre-plan this in advance, we can pull a file and just say, you know, this is what was planned for your dad. And, and did he review that with you? Are you aware of that? And, you know, this is kind of what was planned. Do you think we're going to be following through with these plans or is that kind of what's expected? And they'll usually give us a nod to yes, it is. And then we can kind of take it from there. And in that file, we'll know who the next of kin is, who the executor is, what the plans are, what the financial information is going on. And so that's really, really helpful to have that all in advance. When that's not the case, then we have to start by just gathering the information that we need to for a funeral. And one of those things, and we've already mentioned that, is, is who is in charge. And of course, if it's, a, it, you know, obviously it depends who passes away. Are they young? Do they have parents? Are they married? Uh, you know, do they have a spouse or a partner? Are they are they cohabitating and just living together? Is it a boyfriend and girlfriend? You know, what's the legal status of that relationship? So that's important to figure out. Is there a will? Of course, is is a question we always get. And sometimes the family doesn't even know if there's a will. And that, that's yes. that's an important consideration, right? And uh, sort of as somebody who drafts wills all the time, I have conversations about don't be secretive about to the extent there's wishes with regard to the funeral arrangements. You got to let you got to have a conversation with your executor and they'll they'll need to know where that document is. And, and certainly we we've had those calls saying, hey, we're on our way to the funeral home. <laughs> Can you email us a copy of the will? Right. Because, yeah, it's important to look at that if there's specific direction and you look at that after the funeral. There, there could be a miss there. So I appreciate your comment about yeah, sort of looking for those documents. And obviously that's part of your checklist, right? To be able to say, hey, is there a will? Because that's going to name somebody who is nominated as the executor. And then obviously you've got to explore that a little bit is 
is that person going to be doing it, I would imagine, and having questions. But yeah, that would be an important document to have. So it highlights the need for for us all to say, well, do our executors know where the will is and do they know what it says? And they, more importantly, do they know our wishes? Those kind of things may not be embodied in the will, but the person who has the authority to enter into an agreement with you, a contract would be the one named in the will. And I take it, you know, from, from your earlier comment, that's that's who you start with, right? If if there is a will and 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 the person is is nominated, that's who you're dealing with. Yes, and that can be complicated. I'll I'll tell you a short story. And uh, I I had a good friend through an organization I was with who who I'd known not for that long, but eight or ten years, and we'd worked on some committee work here. And, and when his wife passed away, I helped her with that funeral. And then uh, it became clear that he'd had some terms of health and, and he was elderly. He was in his 90s. And, and the week before he passed away, one of the family members called and said, and, and I knew them a little bit, but not that well, and said, dad made you the executor. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I've been to their house once. I don't even know all of the kids, you know, and he made me the executor. So there was some question about that. And so, you know, even though I was the executor, I really had to rely on the family in terms of what the plans were, what was going to go on. And really, in that particular case, I was just kind of administering things. And I was going to make sure that yeah. the bills got paid and the contracts got signed and everything happened. But but uh, and, and I'm in the business. I'm in the funeral business, and it was well, terrifying okay. for me to be the, ex- the executor at the same time. Well, the, the good news is you knew a good funeral home, right? So you didn't have to go shopping for that one or get three quotes or anything, you know, so that yeah. was good. That was good. Jenna, I, I know with your background as a trust officer, I'm assuming you probably just had some flashbacks to when you got the call or you got assigned a case from your supervisor to say, oh, handle this one. This person just died. Jump in, right? That that, you know, sort of akin to the, you know, when you're acting for a corporate to executor having to deal with these things as well. And maybe the same struggles as Michael just talked about of, well, what were the wishes and what was known, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have some some thoughts on that. Of course. I mean, that was one of the first steps that we need to consider. And, you know, sometimes individuals want to donate their bodies. So that's a different conversation altogether. And that has to be done right away. You know, other times we have to transport the, the deceased remains from another country back to, to Canada. But yeah, generally speaking, um, working with funeral director is is one of you know the the top items to complete. One thing that I thought was interesting is, yes, you have an appointed executor, but sometimes a family doesn't want to agree with what the executor would like to do, or there's conflict as to what should happen in the celebration of life or the funeral. And so, Michael, I was I was wondering if you have any experience dealing with, you know, that mismatch of information or the instructions are different between the executor and the family, and, and how do you really navigate that and, and help, help the family come together in, in one unified form? Oh, that's a great, great question. And there are oftentimes contentions around funerals. They bring out the best of people and they can bring out the worst of people both. And, you know, this is where it gets beyond kind of the legal scope of what can be done, because oftentimes the letter of the law is really, really important. And it is. And you don't want to cross the legal grounds of what's going on. But we're also not lawyers here at the funeral home. We're helping people just get through the funeral part of it. Um, our experience, and, and, and I, I'll speak as a business because all of our funeral directors, we've been trained to do this and we, we like to approach this and we'll listen to whoever's giving us feedback. And we, we don't like to say no to things right away, but we won't necessarily say yes to them either because we like to kind of gather all of the information from the parties. And then when it's clear who's 
truly in charge, then you kind of get uh, validation or verification from them that this is the direction you're going, going to go. And if, if the executor says, well, no, that's not what I want, you try to go back with the solution as opposed to just say, well, she said no. Because anytime you say she or he said no, then all of a sudden you've started an argument and you don't want to do that. And so, and sometimes that's almost impossible. And I, and, and I'll tell you a couple of tricky situations. You know, you've got somebody who's legally married, but they've been separated for a long time. And then they were with a common law spouse for a period, a common law person. But then there's also been some girlfriends. And then they've got kids who are adult kids from relationships that want to have input. And the parents are still alive and they want to have input. And there's no will. And so who ultimately is in charge? Is it the legal wife? Is it the eldest child? Is it the current common law? Is it the parents? And like I said before, it's really not our place to figure that out. And so oftentimes we we just have to pause and listen to everybody. And then, and then it's like, okay, legally he's married, but you know, there's also this common law spouse and she's been the one that's been with them for the last year and a bit. And those children have been with him since they were born. So you got to listen to them. And so sometimes you can get consensus with everybody Mm -hmm. and get everybody on the same road in terms of what the plan should be. Because ultimately, the estate is not our business. The funeral is our business and getting that over is our business. And so we just have to kind of limit ourselves to that. And if we can kind of keep that the focus and, you know, everybody kind of, well, they all knew that this was his background. They all knew he wanted to be cremated and they all knew that this, so you can kind of go down that same road. But when the contention can't be resolved, that's when it's, there's a few things that we can do. And, and number one is we'll we'll say, well, who's going to pay for this? And you don't want to necessarily just say whoever has the money is making all the decisions. That's not how it should always work. But whoever is going to make pay the bill oftentimes will control a lot of what's going on. And then ultimately, if a decision can't be made, we'll say as a family, this is too confusing. There's too much gray in here. And I think you should have a judge decide this and you'll send them to the court. And the courts are designed that they can relatively quickly address a situation like this and deal with family matters so that we don't have to be the ones to make a decision. You know, and, and just hearing you go through that process, just highlight the enormous benefit of pre-planning, because yes. if there's clear instructions already set up by the person who passed away, I mean, that's that eliminates a lot of questions. And so apart from, you know, knowing the deceased wishes, what other benefits might there be with pre-planning that a family would be able to rely on? Well, I think, and and, and I appreciate you saying that, but further to the pre-planning, pre-planning for the funeral, but also making sure that you've established the will and you've mm-hmm. let people know where where it is, you know, as a funeral director, most of what's in the will is none of my business, but who the executor is, is my business. That's the person who needs to sign the contract. So the executive administrator, the, the executor, that's who we need to know about. So so doing them both. When you pre-plan a funeral, it does a number of things. And at number one, it lets the wishes of the deceased be known. And I can tell a story of two brothers whose uh, mother passed away in a different city on the other side of the continent. And they both flew, one flew from Vancouver and one flew from Cal and they'd had all of these discussions. I want this. I th- Mother would have wanted this. Mother would have wanted that. Mother would have wanted this. Mother would have wanted that. They got to the funeral home out there back east and everything was written down and they were both wrong. Mother wanted something completely different and it was in black and white 
and it was paid for. So they didn't have to argue about what was going to be done. They didn't have to argue about who was going to pay for it. The decisions were made and it was taken care of. And and you know what that said? It brought them together. Now we're both wrong. And it kind of, and it, and it meant, meant that neither one of them had to dig into their pockets reluctantly, not knowing if the other brother was going to pony up his part of it because she'd taken care of it. So it, it kind of, it, it helped really get rid of a lot of the contentious matters that might come up. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit to, I guess, those issues of just even the payment or, or that's an interesting story because I have that a lot that people are concerned about that immediate expense. Uh, you know, it's it's usually not a trivial amount of money for the cost of the funeral home. And we start with the proposition that you need to know you're going to get paid. Otherwise, you know, the funeral is not going to go ahead. So somebody's got to make a commitment and 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 sign on that. But just even accessing the money, because of course, usually once the banks learn of somebody being deceased for the protection of those assets, they freeze the account, right? So that the, the wrong person doesn't have access to them. And then the, the actual true executor could come forward and control those assets once they have that court order in hand. But that creates that bit of an issue, right? Where you get Okay, the accounts are frozen and you know somebody has to who's actually going to pay for that. That that sounds like, you know, my guess is that's that's an important conversation and the benefits obviously of planning would be just to eliminate any of the confusion in the example you just give. But maybe just speak to some of those difficulties or how you work with the family on the financial side of it, acknowledging that they may not be able to have access to mom's money in the like in the example you just gave. Yeah, and and it's a I, it's really important. It's important to us. And I think it, it, all funeral businesses really want a clear understanding of the contract and how it's going to be looked after and what the terms of the contract are, because that's we're not a charitable organization. We're not out here to sell anybody anything they don't want or don't need. But we do need to be paid for the services that we provide. We do a good job of what we do. Our, our staff and our business, we work hard to provide our services. So yes, this is important. When When it's not prepaid, and there is a big invoice, then clearly we've got to figure out where that money's coming from. And oftentimes there are funds in a bank, like you'd said, and the bank will freeze them right away. And so that becomes complicated. And one of the things that banks will do is pay funeral expenses out of an existing funeral account or out, out of an, an existing account that's in the name of the deceased. And so but banks get really nervous about doing that. And so they won't always do it. And, and so I don't like to say, yes, this can automatically come out of your mom's account or your dad's account. And so you need to go to the bank and have some conversations with them. And, you know, here we have a contract, take it this to them and and oftentimes they won't even tell you how much money's in there. If you don't have any information, you don't know if there's a hundred dollars in there or a hundred thousand dollars in there. You might not. And because I don't know what my parents had in their account. That was none of my business. And they weren't going to tell me. So you may not know what's in the account and if there's enough to cover the bill. So the the banks will kind of cautiously help you and you can go to the bank and cautiously help them. And oftentimes they will say, if you bring in the funeral home invoice, we can look after that. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's been signed off by everybody in the family. So that's one way of doing it. But that is not a surefire solution. Well, and particularly as as I'm thinking, if you show up and say, here's a notarized copy of well-drafted will is one scenario, very clear, you know, I's dotted, T's crossed, 
sort of scenario versus somebody comes in and say there was no will. I mean, right there, you talk about the banks being nervous. They, well, then who is the right person? Because if they give the money to the wrong person, maybe there's some liability of that. Acknowledging what you said earlier, I think it's, you know, that's a great point to say, usually there's not a lot of contention about the funeral invoice, right? I mean, I've had a few files over the years where they, you know, there was some dispute amongst the residual beneficiaries about, well, that was excessive or way too much money was spent. But if it's fairly normal, fairly typical, it's that's not the, the kind of stuff that people will contend with, right? So I appreciate you saying, yeah, there's some solutions. The more planning you can do, all the better. And the more prepaying you do eliminates the issue altogether. So that's 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 a, a definite takeaway. Just statistically, if you look back over the years, my sense is that probably more and more people are looking at sort of pre-planning and pre Repaying. Are you seeing an uptick in the number of people doing that, or has it been sort of about the same over the years? Any any statistics or trends you see in your business? I think it's probably been fairly static. Maybe 20% of our our uh, our funeral calls are pre-planned. Maybe not even that many, and which means the other 80% are. And it seems to be fairly steady. But people who are kind of advancing in age, or maybe they've had a loved one pass away frequently, or or they've reached a milestone that seems significant, then then all of a sudden they might be motivated to pre-plan their, their funeral. So yeah. that, and, and of course, that's kind of what we're talking about here is planning in advance. I want to make two, two comments here. And one is about even if there's a, a well put together, really professional, beautiful looking will that you can take into the bank and give it to them. Oh, you're talking about mine. Oh, exactly. that's very nice. That's very Those nice are, of you, Michael. And, and they're, <laughs> Jenna and they're knew I was well going to say done. that. I just, you're baiting Absolutely. me there. That's, <laughs> of course. The, the, you know, and, and the bank will look at that still with some skepticism. They will take that will and they might say, oh, well, this needs to be probated. And that probate, and you can speak to that. You're the lawyer. You know that that process takes more time than the funeral. So once again, they'll look at it and it's like just one more thing that says, ah, it's probably legitimate. We're OK if we pay this bill. It, it, it certainly gives them more comfort with what they're doing. And so you can have a little bit of comfort knowing that that's the case and that everything's in place and that, you know, everything looks legit. So we, we can go ahead and do it. I think what I'll do, though, is, is let's talk about what happens when the funds are not there. And there's a funeral bill and we don't think there's enough money in the in the bank. And so everything is left with the family. And then there's really a couple of things that can happen. And one is, is the family needs to step up and, and put together a funeral that they can afford. And then they're going to decide amongst themselves how that bill is going to be shared. And so that's not uncommon to do that. So we'll have a number of families where, well, we're not sure, we don't think there's enough money there. And at some point the house will get sold. And so there will be some money and we'll get you know, some money back from the estate or whatever the case might be. Maybe there won't be anything there. So as a family, you know, she took care of me, my parents took care of me my whole life. I'm going to step up and do the right thing and look after the funeral account. And so quite often it's the kids that will just step up and pay that bill. What if they can't do it and there's really no money there? Then um, we uh, have some avenues that we take and we will apply to essentially social services and work with the family to complete an application to get the information that we need to and, and get the services that they can apply for, get it all approved so that we can go ahead and have uh, uh, government 
help to look after that. Well, and that brings up a, a great point is that everyone needs your services, right? There's no scenario where you might not need a funeral director. Am I, am I correct in that scenario, in that comment? Ah, uh, we're all, none of us are going to get out of here alive. So that's <laughs> just a reality, myself included. So at some point that will happen. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes people think they can do it on their own and they, they can do a lot of things on their own, but essentially, yes, you'll need a funeral business to kind of help you through this. Can I touch on maybe even after the funeral, other services that you provide? Because certainly looking at it from an executor's perspective and what I see regularly is a funeral home can be quite helpful on various notices, various other services that will be of assistance to the uh, executor and they can hire you to do that. I think it's my experience anyway, but you comment is that it's it's almost all a cart, right? You could say, well, I want a really basic thing and I'll do the rest on myself or you can help with that. But maybe talk a little bit of how are other ways in, in with the experience that you have that a funeral home can be in a position to help an executor, you know, even obviously during the, the, the planning process, completing the funeral and dealing with the with the body and cemetery and all the rest of it. But I think there's other things you do that are helpful to the to the family and particularly to the executor. Do you want to speak a little bit to those benefits? Sure. One of the things that we do, and, and it doesn't matter what you choose, what package of services, whether it's something very minimal or something that's uh, a little bit more elaborate and extensive is, is with every family, there are a certain number of basic things we're going to do. And one of them is, is we're going to notify a variety of government organizations that the death has occurred. And so as not only do we register the death with the province, which is a legal responsibility, but we also let Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security know and Alberta Health Services and a couple of other agencies know that a death has occurred and that flags the account to help prevent fraud and some things like that. So that's kind of something we do even, even before the funeral might take place. Beyond that, though, once you've kind of taken care of these basic things, we put all of the focus on whatever it is that's going to happen, whether it's a cremation or a burial or, or a, a, a funeral or a celebration of life. That work seems to take up all your focus. And once that's kind of you're on the other side of that, we actually make sure that we meet with every family and uh, what we as a family care a family follow-up visit. And in that particular visit, we actually will look to some more important estate matters. Because at that point, you can kind of focus on some of these after the funeral items. And that's where we'll help them with the Canada Pension Plan death benefit application or the surviving spouse's pension or the uh, surviving children's pension. So we'll help them with that. But then we have a bit of a checklist of things that we'll uh, help them with. And with the information we've gathered on file, there are some very simple things that we can do to help them. We're always clear to say we are not the lawyers. We are we cannot do a, a lot of things that legal help will do. So we need to point them in the right direction there. But there are some very simple things that we can do. And then and then as soon as we it, it's clear that that's outside of our wheelhouse, we'll say this is something that will require, you know, you need to go to the bank directly or you'll need to go to land titles and make this happen. And uh, it might be easiest with a lawyer to do that. And so that's when we point them to the professionals that will can truly make sure that that happens. Just to add on that, I could say when I when I deal with clients on the estate administration side, it's a noticeable difference. Those that have had really good service through the funeral home and they come in going, okay, it's all organized. I've got my checklist. They did this. I know what I have to do. There is a real education 
function. And I think that really takes the stress level down for being in this very daunting role. You spoke earlier of a situation where you were kind of thrust into that unexpectedly. And, you know, obviously, as somebody who does that, you say, okay, I I think I know what has to be done. But for a lot of people, especially first time around, it's it's a very stressful situation. So I think it's, it's a point well made to say you're providing a valuable service at a very critical time to get them on the right path. And then obviously seeking the right professionals or the right institutions beyond that. But that may seem administrative in nature, but from my experience is is, is very helpful for the clients. You can I, I can see it in them that they, they've had that benefit. Jenna, I know I, I cut you off or maybe you can sort of wrap up our time together here. Yeah, we're at, we're at the end of our time together, but Michael, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. And and I, you know, through a conversation, I'm thinking about how many hundreds and thousands of families you've helped over the years. And so I just want to thank you for that because you're there in the most vulnerable point in someone's life and you make such a difference. So thank you very much. And thanks for being our guest. 